This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. One of my favorite kinds of audiobooks to listen to during the summer months are juicy biographies. So when I heard there's a new look at Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis out this summer, I knew I had to download it. What better book to listen to while you're sitting by the pool or on the beach? Jackie, Public Private Secret by J. Randy Tara Borelli and read by Jane Oppenheimer is based on hundreds of interviews over a 30-year period, as well as previously unreleased material from the JFK Library. And it paints an unforgettable new portrait of this iconic woman. Fans of the author's New York Times bestseller, Jackie, Janet, and Lee, will love listening to this fresh, often startling look at the legendary former first lady. Start listening to Jackie, Public Private Secret by J. Randy Tara Borelli now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zara-Papinski, and today it's such a treat to have Namrata Patel back on the podcast to discuss her new novel, Scent of a Garden. It's an exhilarating novel about a perfumer in Paris who's forced to return to her California roots, where she winds up on a journey of self-discovery, reconnecting with family, and finally taking some risks. Um, I love the book, and I think anyone who enjoyed The Candid Life of Mina Dave is going to love it as well. Namrata is an Indian-American writer who resides in Boston. Her writing examines diaspora and dual cultural identity among among Indian Americans and explores this dynamic while also touching on the families we're born with and those we choose. She's lived in India, New Jersey, Spokane, London, and New York, and has been writing most of her adult life. Um, Namrata, thank you so much for coming back on, and congratulations on the new book. Thank you so much. I'm very excited, not just to talk to you, but about the new book. Yes, it, you know, I, I adored The Candid Life of Mina Dave so much, and I was like a little bit in mourning when it was over because I just loved being a part of this community, and you brought the setting to life so well. So it was such a treat to kind of have in Scent of a Garden that's just that same feeling of... I love these characters. I love spending time with them. They're kind of unique and quirky ties. And then you have another just um, setting that I could have spent, you know, ages in. So I just, um, I loved it. And I'm, I think listeners Aww. are really going to enjoy it as well. And I love the whole premise. And I know we, we had talked when you were on for the Candid Life of Mina Dave about the premise. And it was so fun to see it come to life about what would happen if um, a perfumer loses their scent. So for anyone who hasn't gotten to pick it up yet, we know a little bit of the premise, but can you tell us more about this novel and um, what made you want to take this on for your next project? Yes. Um, you know, with what I try to do is really take a nugget of a not so well-known um, bit of Indian history, Indian American history. Um, so that people have a broader sense of our culture and then try to explore, you know, through a heroine, what that could be like. And that was the diaspora part. Right. And in this case, I started with, um, I wanted to really examine the hotel ownership and the, the way that Indian Americans have really put a, you know, a marker in the ownership of hotels and motels across North America. But um, I kept coming back to Poppy and she was a perfumer and, and I, we were all, you know, on the middle post vaccine 
part of the pandemic. And I'm like, well, people are going to be affected for, for various reasons. Right. Um, and in this case, I was like, well, it's a perfumer and she lost her sense of smell. What would happen in this shift? And so I really wanted to explore that. And then I wanted to explore how, when you're faced with some sort of a challenge to your identity and the work and the passion that you always believed in, uh, what do you do? You know, do you sort of embrace it? Do you hide from it? Do you, um, in this case, do you go back home and do you try to figure it out involuntarily? And so this story is really about her journey towards either acceptance or um, a way to forge a path forward because of this event that happened to her that, you know, just reshaped her whole sense of self. So that's really the premise. But of course, you know, um, my stories aren't solitary. So, you know, there's that, the, the baggage that comes with going back home after being uh, away for so long, the feeling of being disconnected, you know, a lot of it was around uh, FOMO because everybody's lives yeah. go on. So when you're away and, and uh, other people that you have grown up with or loved or your family, they're still living their lives and you only have like moments of, or peaks into it. And then when you go back, you're like, wait a minute, you all have this whole, all these inside jokes and all of this stuff and I'm not a part of any of it. And so then you're wrestling with like, what am I missing? What are the connections? And and are there opportunities to rebuild here or am I just going to stay in this like sense of pity and resentment for my, my circumstances. Right? So yeah. the, the book has like, you could enjoy it on the surface as like just to read, right. It's a simple story and it's comfort and cozy, or you can look a little bit deeper and say, huh, I can relate to this idea of, moving away from home and then coming back and seeing a change in everyone, seeing how friendships have shifted, seeing how past loves have shifted, seeing how, like seeing your parents through a different set of eyes because you only saw them from the moment you left and they've been a fixed memory. And now you're spending more time with them and you're seeing them as people. So I wanted to, to layer in some of that uh, as part of it. Yeah, that was a roundabout that was description always... of what happens without like spoilers. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was so relatable. And, you know, she has, you know, more than one good option in a way. It's just making choices of what do you want your life to look like? Because each one has its trade-offs of where you want to live and what you want to be doing. And yeah, and I thought it was interesting too having Paris there, which is, you know, of course the idea of living there is so glamorous, but I think mm-hmm. she also shows that when you're away, no matter where you are, even if it's the most like exotic glamorous destination, you still have mm-hmm. to live and have the ups and downs of like being lonely at times or um, you know, struggles at work. And so I thought that that was interesting that it wasn't just this sort of like glossy version of what living in a place like that um, would be like. And then, yeah, coming home and having all these dynamics that you're not not a part of. I just thought it was so relatable and, um, and interesting. And the characters, you just, 
your characters are always some of my favorites. They're each so like complex <laughs> and interesting and um, funny and their relationships with each other are so original, I think. And mm -hmm. I, I would just love to hear about how you went about creating a whole nother cast of characters for readers to kind of fall in love with again. Yeah, they, um, they really come alive in the course of the writing. So, um, you know, the, the nannies of Napa were like where <laughs> the, the family started. Cause I always go back to like, okay, who are this heroine's people? Where do they come from? And how far do I go back? Right. And I really like the exploring the grandparents generation because we, you know, we as a society sort of sideline our elderly for various reasons, but we don't, we don't, for the most part, acknowledge them as people unless they're in pharmaceutical commercials, right? <laughs> so I'm like, um, but, you know, now, thanks to modern healthcare and all of that, you have, you know, people living in their 80s, living rich, fulfilled lives. And I was like, what would happen to someone if they came here as a bride at 20 and then lived here for 60 years and who would they become? And um, so it started with the nannies. Originally I had four of them, <laughs> but the oh, editor wow. was like, that's too, too many. So <laughs> I had to call the, the cast of characters down and then, um, you know, what were their families like? And in this case, it was two families, the Desais and the Patels and they, both, um, you know, it, it's a collectivist culture, right? So uh, family is defined, and I explored this in the first book too, family is not just defined by blood, but it's defined by the people you grow up with and the people who raise you. And um, so, you know, this trio of Millie, Neil, and Poppy were just kids until they grew up and they grew separate. And, um, you know, the parents were sort of, this uh, generation that was caught in between. Um, so raised conservatively, but assimilated because they were in America. And so their children got the benefits of that assimilation, but they didn't necessarily have the flexibility or the freedom or the, or even the privilege to, you know, have dreams or have career aspirations. So that the characters sort of evolved from there. And, you know, it, it was funny because um, so a little bit of inside the book, but I fell in love with Millie first. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> it took me a while to get a handle on Asha because she was, she was, you know, she was very focused and determined and almost like one, one note at the beginning and so until she like sort of started to come alive in the book, I was like, Millie's my girl. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, obviously it shifts and, and as Asha grows, I'm like, oh yeah, you've got some stuff in you. And um, they just become real people to me. Uh, not in a, I see them walking around or I, you know, I, but they, they come alive in the story. And so I'm, you know, able to see the differences and see the the way they interact. And I really like writing friendships uh, as well as family, you know, similar to the aunties in Mina. I just love long-term friendships because you grow with them and you change over time. And, 
you have um, those gaps in that friendship and where do you pick them up? Can those friendships survive? Can some of them fade away? Um, what is like our sense of ride or die mean at this stage in life? You know, so those are the types of things that I, I want our, the characters to be fully rounded in that sense, even if they don't have as much space or time as um, Asha does to do their thing. Yeah, that was the other part I found just so relatable, especially as you're talking about those gaps, um, long-term friendships that have had their sort of ebbs mm-hmm. and flows and gaps of when you're apart and how much you're in touch being less at certain times and more at different times and kind of how those dynamics play out. I, I, I love reading about those kind of friendships as well. Um, and as you're talking about Asha and the other characters sort of coming alive to you, that makes you wonder, like as a reader, I won't give anything away, but I went back and mm-hmm. forth in terms of like the choices I wanted her to make <laughs> um, as I was reading. Did you go back and forth as you were writing or did you have a clear sense of like where you wanted her to end up at the end? I, um, you know, she, she, I'm glad you said that, that I'm going to reinterpret what you said as like, she frustrated you at times, right? So she, she did, but I also <laughs> couldn't decide at times what I wanted her to do. Like I was sort of yeah. confused too. Like, I don't know what choice you should make. <laughs> and that was the, that was the goal or the intent. So she, you know, as I mentioned, she frustrated me as well, but I, I really wanted to, um, Sometimes we think on the surface choices are easy, right? And like in this case, she worked for something for so long. She believed that was her destiny. She she was almost like biologically wired to do what she was doing. And, and she was good at it, achieving things that she right. was achieving. And she had a very aspirational goal. But she ran up against not only her her um, loss of sense of smell, but the system of perfumery, right? So it's this idea of, um, do I want to continue to toil? Do I want to continue to aspire? Do I want to continue to put in the work? Because the system tells me I'm not ready yet. I'm too young. I have to put in the work. I have to put in the time. And you know, the perfume industry is very... Um, small in the sense that it's like four big conglomerates that own the entire market and uh, the the achievements for a perfumer are very you know uh, planned out there's a path you can take um versus like what is the cost of those things that you're good at and you strive for versus you know, what matters now? So, you know, we think about point in time and I don't know about you, but a lot of us had existential crises in our careers at various points, but most recently a lot of us have, right? So it's like, how do I um, make choices based on what, not just my, all the things that I've achieved professionally, but on what the costs have been and do I continue to carry that cost in service of that achievement. So it wasn't easy, right? I just wanted to make sure that um, I think she will frustrate a lot of readers because you have to come to that book understanding that you would make different choices, right? Because what you value, if you value ambition, 
you would make a different choice. If you value family, you would make a different choice. If you value a sense of place or sense of home, you would make a different choice. If you you accolades and ego, you would make a different choice. So there, we think of choices sometimes as as very binary, but they connect. They are layers of lived experiences, multitudes of like what is important to you and meaningful, and then the pragmatic baseline of can you support yourself? Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. the financial realities are that we do have to still make our own way in this world, right? So I'm I'm glad I got a chance to talk about it because it feels a little bit like, girl, what are you doing? Pick a path, <laughs> stick with it. But it's not but as it's easy hard. she's torn. Yeah. 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 I was torn for her. <laughs> well, and it's reminding me as you're talking about this, I was thinking as I read, I was reading like, oh, what fun sort of categories to maybe have gotten to do a little research or like exploration mm-hmm. about you have per- the perfume industry you have napa you have paris um tea <laughs> all these different things was there any sort of fun aspects of researching the book that you'd want to share um i really loved researching the perfume industry so i um started reading the books and you know i um started trying to like write formulas which was just a method of procrastination under the guise of research you know (laughs) and then um weirdly because everyone knows everyone in in new jersey in the indian community my father's elementary school friend um is a indian master perfumer that i did not even know and he's the only probably indian master perfumer And I met him and he has a lab in New Jersey, um, which is part of the, 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 one of the bigger French uh, perfume makers, but he took me through the lab and let me play around with scents. And then he created a scent for the book. And it was just really interesting to just see and dive in and understand the business of perfumery and how every ingredient has a cost associated to it, which is how you price perfumes and synthetic is cheaper than the, the actual flowers that you can use scents for. And the, our human expectations of like, some people really like small, like strong perfumes and you can, you can't achieve those by using thousands of pounds of rose, rose petals. You have to actually use the synthetic scent. So that part was really fun for me. And um, also a great way to avoid writing. (laughs) (laughs) I bet it was fun to read about and just thinking, I mean, I guess it never really occurred to me the sort of professional path of it all. And even just how, um, it's like chemistry experiments. Mm-hmm. And I was just was sort of picturing someone with like a mortar and pestle, like crushing flowers <laughs> in like a beautiful setting, <laughs> like these perfumes. And it seems like big business that I um, wasn't really aware of any of that. Even just sort of the intrigue of like, oh, you can't say that this one is making the sense for that. Like there's a lot of secrecy. And yes. Oh, that was really interesting too. Um, well, and that was the thing. I kind of wanted to de-glamorize Paris and perfumery because we see that a lot, right? And um, I wanted to write closer to the reality of the perfume business versus like 
the mortar and pestle in, you know, the Cote d'Azur or <laughs> the lavender fields in Southern France, which trust me, I still wanted to go on a research trip to take a <laughs> perfume making course, but uh, the pandemic put the kibosh on it. And I, I, I'm glad because um, it doesn't romanticize perfumery, right? It romanticizes the ingredients. The, the garden itself is to me like the closest to nature, the the various uses of the flowers and herbs to create those scents and create even teas was was more compelling to me than the industrial complex of perfumery. <laughs> oh, that's such a good point. And I loved all the scenes with the garden. And did, did you have to, did you sort of know a lot about all the different plants and things before you started writing? Or did you have to kind of uh, look into that too? I do not have a green thumb at all. <laughs> um, I had to research it. I had to learn that different uh, places in the country have different soil grades so that only certain things can grow naturally in those areas. So I had to research like what could grow in Napa and what type of sage could grow there versus, you know, I couldn't just put like things that would grow in the Northeast there because the climate is different. The soil is different. I have, um, uh, friends who one of them is really into gardening and flowers who I would just text and be like, tell me what this looks like, or tell me what this smells like. And I smelled, um, I went to Napa and did smell a lot of moss and earth and, <laughs> and anything. And I'm like, nothing has smell. And I'm like, somebody give me something that smells so I can describe it. So, um, I, I wanted to, again, I didn't want to have wine in there because Napa is known for wine, but Napa is so much more, right? And it, it has, um, it's just natural beauty in parts where it's cultivated for wine, but there are other things there that, that are just very compelling to me. And, you know, Northern California with the redwoods and the moss and things were just more compelling to me. So that, that, that trip I did get to take. <laughs> yeah. And that made it really, yeah. it, you know, it made it fun to read about a different si side of Napa. Well, I'm also curious, just sort of the writing process for this book. Was it one that you wrote a first draft and it kind of quickly developed from there? Was it um, <laughs> a real slog to make work with like tons of drafts or like huge changes from the beginning that we wouldn't, you know, happened kind of what was the process like? Ooh, um, it was painful <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, because um, the first version, the first draft, um, you know, after a few passes, the first draft I sent to my editor, she called me and she's like, so the plot isn't working. <laughs> so oh, no. that is a nice way to say you have to rewrite the book because the plot wasn't working. And um it was it was a very valid, very fair. We talked through it, but because of the publishing schedule and the timeline, I wound up I wound up rewriting the entire book in a month. Um, luckily, I had done all the character work, right? So I'd done the research, I'd done all the character work, so I had to basically just rewrite for the plot structure. And um, in that, I was able to refine and hone in and. Um, the the 
different ways that she navigates the choices and the the different ways that her frustrations people and I was able to explore that a little bit more that she was a little emotionally stunted because she had to raise herself um since she was 18 but it was a it was a very very painful process I had to I I was like I'm not going to be one of those writers who's like I need to just go away and sit in a room and guess what I had to go away and sit in a hotel for a week to really um get a handle on it um but I you know I really appreciate my editor because it made the book that much stronger and better and it was a sophomore book so all the pressures of having to deliver with Mina I had no idea how the book would do right I just I had time and I put it out there and I wished for good things and with this one I had that added pressure of wait now I have readers and readers uh want something for you know and um so to get all of that noise out of the head and write the story um just took time you know it is a it's an interesting all of the the sayings about the sophomore process or writing on deadline, I was like, not atypical of that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it all all was worth it because everyone's going to love it um, just as much, if not more than, than Mina Dave. So um, I got a shout out to the cover though. The cover of this book is beautiful. Oh, it is. It's beautiful. And I feel like, is it the same cover designer as Mina Dave? Yes, Kimberly Glider. She's phenomenal. And it's the same cover designer. Yeah. Yeah. You really get a similar feel, which I think is, is nice. Yeah. Well, we've chatted a lot sort of about the, the writing process and, and writing life, I guess. Have there been um, any books lately that you've been reading that you'd want to recommend? Uh, yes, uh, of course. I, uh, I'm i fortunate because I'm going to recommend some books that are coming out. I'm fortunate that I got to read them before. One is um, Amy Matthews has the, uh, I'm just going to get the title right, uh, My Someone Else's Bucket List. I just read that and I believe it comes out in um, at the end of May, May 23rd. Oh, and great. it was and great. Say, this like, will air later in the summer. So by the time it airs, it'll already be out. It, so it will be out. It's a lovely book uh, about sisters and, and this idea of like, you know, I, I can't give too much away, but <laughs> it's just a great book about relationships, which I gravitate to. I just finished reading, I read nonfiction. So I just finished reading um, The Good Enough Job, uh, which is, a again, uh, if you're having an existential crisis, uh, The Good Enough Job, if you're having an existential career crisis, you should look at that. I'm, I think like right now, there is a paradigm shift in terms of like how we look at work and we're finally sort of moving away from that industrial revolution, nine to five, got to toil to climb the ladder type work. And this book does a good job of, of exploring the myths of work that we value. So I'm not, you know, I, I still work. I still work for nine to five and I don't negate it. I really love the the work that I do in nonprofit, but um, it is 
it was a good exploration. So I recommend those two books. Um, yeah, that's so great. I'll definitely link to those. Um, yeah. And I guess just lastly, are you able to share anything of a, of a premise for book three or is it too early? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'll share the, the vibes of book three. How's that instead of the premise? <laughs> it's um, spice healers, um, Ayurvedic spice healers, um, multi, uh, it's like two families that are feuding and it explores like um, the, I don't know if you've heard of Patel Brothers, the grocery chain for Indian groceries, but it just explores like, the history of how you know modern spice is availability in America, and then touching on appreciation versus appropriation, and the idea of who owns like culture in a sense of yeah. spices. So, but it's really again the cast of characters. It's really a story about um, three generations of of spice healers, um, two feuding families, and some uh some quite a few secrets <laughs> so those are the vibes <laughs> that sounds great well in salem that... so it's a little bit back oh, in nice. in my neighbor in our neighborhood <laughs> yeah i always love when there's a massachusetts connection that's fun um yes. well i really hope listeners go pick up scent of a garden it is just a perfect read for summer and um, anyone who loved The Candid Life of Mina Dave definitely has got to because they're going to just um, devour this one and love the characters. And um, just thank you again for coming back on. It was such a delight um, to get to chat with you. I always look forward to our conversations. Thank you so much. It was so great. I really appreciate it. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.